trolling, trolling for ten baggers. Trolling, trolling for ten baggers. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're here with Joel and Sam. We're here to talk about finding 10 baggers. That's a stock that's gone up 10 times. There isn't much out there about how you find a 10 bagger, so we chat to people who've found them before. In the show, we talk to all sorts of guests about all sorts of different things, but just remember that nothing included is advice. Make sure to speak with a professional advisor about your own circumstances before making any financial or investment decisions. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. Today we're joined by Shane Wee. Shane's a founding director of Alto Capital, which is an investment and advisory firm based in Perth. As you'll hear in the conversation, Shane has a vast experience in the finance industry, but is also a very active member in the community outside the markets too. We talked to Shane about his background, his personal challenges, and his activities outside finance, and much more. There are a couple of times in the conversation where the recording quality isn't that amazing and the odd interruption, but it doesn't take away at all from the fantastic conversation. So please enjoy our chat with Shane Wee. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. We have a very special guest, Shane Wee from Alto Capital. Thanks for joining us, Shane. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, do you want to um, get us started into what got you into finance and your story? Well, I kind of stumbled into finance. Um, you know, I thought it was 25 years ago, but it's actually closer to 30 years ago in my early 20s at um, first, first year uni. And um, I went into... Um, at the time, Morgan stopped broking um, to be um, for work experience. So I was a coffee boy for a good week, but you know, I got to know the boys quite well and hung around for about a month. And they paid me. Um, three months after that, the accounts department uh, decided to go away. Decided to go away. So they rang me and see if I wanted to take a gig for three months doing the accounts, which I accepted. Um, a month after she returned, they rang me up and said, "Look, did you want her job? Because you seem to be." Uh, doing a better job than she she would. And I said, well, I can't, I can't take someone else's job. It's, it's so wrong. They said, well, we're going to sack her anyway. Did you want a position? So I took, I, I graciously accepted a position as the accountant's department. Uh, at the time, the hours were from eight to five, but I, you know, I, I worked from six to, you know, six, seven o'clock at night. I hung out with the brokers. You know, I, 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 um, I, I tried to become as efficient as possible. So I did the accounts. Within the first couple of hours, then I then I took on the task of the uh, the old scrippy, where we printed off the contract notes and matched it to the um, the old certificates. Um, walked down to the old treasury and stuff, and got 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 the stamp duty stamped. And um, you know, sat next to um, to my business partner, who is who is uh, my mentor, Craig Brown, as he was he was the head operator and flicked through the fin review a fair bit um, over time. Um, Three years into that, three four years into that, I said, um, "Guys, look, I um, I'd like to um, give broking a crack because um, I hung around a lot with the brokers over there, and a lot of them are still still very good mates of mine." And um, so I, I started my um, my client base um, through the yellow pages, um, ringing up um, doctors. That's my first target, selling five hundred Colesmeyer um, shares for the discount card. So that's where I started. Yeah, wow, Shane. So I guess when you, before you got into broking, were you studying at uni or were you, you know, what, what sort of led you into finance in the first place? 
Well, in those days, you know, it was it was it was early nineties or you know early twenties. Didn't really know what a stockbroker was. Kind of knew, but didn't really. Like I said, so I stumbled into this role. You know, the universe kind of led me to this place for work experience. Um, and uh, so I, I, I did. Um, I was mostly into the arts in the younger years. I did architecture, you know, tech drawing and stuff, and got high distinctions and got awards for that. But soon found that you know it was, it was too restrictive a, a um, for me anyway a, a, um, a career to 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 head towards and uh, I, I I headed towards the um, career of a businessman whether it be um, owning mine one day or working for somebody and uh, and that's kind of how I stumbled into finance and did economics and finance at uni um, which um, I'm yet to finish <laughs> it just got too hard when they're young you know. The markets were too high, so it was, it was too busy. The markets were down, and I was depressed, and uh, and and that was it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's terrific, Shane. We'll come to some of that sort of um, some of your successes a bit later on. But um, what was it about when you were doing the old school, um, you know, the scripting, or if I've got that right, that sort of got you attracted to to wanting to be finance? Was it the people that you were working around? Was it just that really oh, hard work and the, that attitude that you had? It's, it was the excitement from the adrenaline rush, watching the markets do what it did, um, having a really good uh, working environment. Um, you were part of the team. Um, and look, you know, when, we, when I first started, we were quite small and we'd be soon, I think a few years after I became a broker, we became ABN Amro Morgans. But when we were in the Morgans days, um, you know, a lot of us became brothers. You know, we looked out for each other. Did business the right way. Um, they spent time mentoring me, uh, which is which is you know important. So I felt a part. I, f- I felt a sense of belonging, and and I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be them, you know. Yeah, no, no, terrific. So you, you you're talking about just building up your book. You're calling people on the yellow pages. Um, <laughs> can you tell us through anything about some of that? What what sort of you know, did you have any yeah. highs and lows or how did you, was it literally oh. just blue chips? And then when did you move into sort of smaller caps or? Well, lows were always when you got a rejection, no, you know, um, go away. We've got our own broker. Um, and, and, and the highs were obviously, um, yeah, no, we don't have any um, Colesmeyer, but um, love to have a chat further. And some of my clients from there, you know, started, started off with, you know, and mind you, I was in my early 20s, not even 21, 22. And, and, and then my clients were in the 60s. And, um, you know, 180 grand portfolio and, and you know, they, they put a lot of trust into me. And, and when trust is being built um, between people, it's much easier to make money. And that's just generally how life works. So I, I, I began, obviously, um, investing for them in blue chips. And, uh, and when we had the mining boom, I made a lot of money in Mendoza mining, you know, um, my, um, a, a, a good friend of mine, Stockley Davies, um, floated that and then that's how we met up and uh, I got to know the CFO at the time very well. We flew to, flew to the Philippines, went down the shaft uh, and, and, and yeah, saw gold. And when, I, when we got there, gold was trading at $240 an ounce and when we landed, it had bounced to $420 an ounce and we were like, oh my God. <laughs> so um, the, they were capped at $20 million when we got in and we, we, we bought pretty much all the stock on market and um, and when my last client sold out, uh, it was capped at one and a half billion dollars. You know, uh, two million, and we sold it at eight dollars. He was very happy, but that takes a long time. You know, it wasn't an overnight overnight success. We we 
we had a lot of tears in between when when all the when people, you know the impatient punters just wanted to get out. But you know we we, we believe in management. We believe in the project. And we we believe what it could deliver, and uh, we stuck by it. It's it always pays off when you're, you've got patient money. That's fantastic story, Shane. I think that's really interesting because, you know, we're in this kind of market where we're supposedly heading into another mining boom. And one of our mm. recent guests talked about how hard it is to hold something like that. Oh, what was absolutely. what was it about Medusa that you that kept you holding when you're up so many bags? Was it just about the management? About the management, you know, about where the um, where the project was gonna go, potentially the other um, tenements that they were going to pick up to increase the resources. So, you know, you could certainly see that it made sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, terrific. And you were saying that one of the clients of yours, you know, what was the investment he started off with in the DUSA? Oh, look, his portfolio um, was, I can't remember how much he put in, but he was, it was, it was one of my doctor clients, one of my first clients who Bought 500 calls my shares. He, he started with a portfolio of 180 grand and ended up being two million bucks. And that was through two stocks that really um, that really made my mark in, 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 in with my clients and set them up quite well. I mean, I was much younger then, so I didn't have the holding power. But you know, it was it was Aquila Resources um, and, and and Medusa Mining. Those were the two prominent stocks that really set my client base up for me. Um- so you had a few successes, big successes by the sounds, many bags. Mm. What was was that? What what made you succeed at ABN Amros? What made you so hungry? Well, it was the adrenaline rush. I mean, I you know at, 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 by twenty three four, I became obviously a broker, and and probably a couple of years after that, you know, I I, I became um, actually earlier than that, I became the biggest business writer. I was an equity holder and, and, and sat on a management committee as well for a long time. Um, but, you know, as far as the hunger, it's like everything. It's the adrenaline rush of, of, of making money for yourself, for your clients, um, you know, the commission checks that came in, um, you know, and, and the whole buzz in the dealing room, right? I had three phones going. I had my mobile phone, I had two extra phones, and then the boys were on, we, 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 you know, the whole desk environment was just heaving you know, with life. And it was just like, when it was done, it was like, oh, I mean, you remember the dot-com boom, we'd, we'd buy anything just at the match of the close, knowing you'd make, you know, 10, 20 grand in the morning. It was that crazy. But, you know, those, these sort of things don't last. Uh, we make it while it was good. And um, I had to, had to, you know, change, change the way we did business um, from being a young broker to a little bit more, slow the pace down a little bit, so to say. <laughs> There's still excitement, but yeah. Yeah, well, it's a fascinating story, Shane, and certainly sounds like it was a crazy and exciting time to be learning and operating in the markets. So sometime after that, your time at ABN Amaro, you went out on your own, is that right? Yeah, so at the, um, uh, the age of 30, so it was 2004, we set up Alto, Alto Capital with, uh, with, with um, Craig Brown, who's you know, obviously my, my mentor from when, we started, when I started broking, um, Adam Belton um, as well. And uh, we set up Alto Capital um, because it was difficult to do corporate deals in the bigger firms. You know, by the time it got to compliance and corporate and came back, the deal was gone. Um, so we, we, we found that we were kind of restricted in, in doing a lot of stuff. And um, I've also always wanted to, um, you know, control our own destiny. So, uh, you know, I went to see my bosses and said, look, you know, um, we, we, 
we're going to leave. We're going to set up our own shop and and um, give what you guys did a crack, right? Um, really appreciate what you've done. I certainly wouldn't be in this position without them and giving me an opportunity. So um, I, um, they gave me, they, 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 I was like a son to them, right? Because I started very young. And uh, they gave me their blessings and um, we had a little bit of a cry and um, they helped me move my clients across. <laughs> well, it sounds like quite a, a perfect arrangement in terms of if you're going to leave somewhere and start up somewhere else to have everybody's blessing and be able to come on with those new clients along the way. Yeah, they, they, they helped me with the clients to move across and, um, and then, you know, we still talk all the time. So, yeah, we're still good mates. Fantastic. Never want to burn, burn any bridges, you know, I mean, it was unnecessary to burn any bridges. I, yeah. And did you want to talk a little bit more about what that Alto, like what, so I suppose what you do now and what Alto is? Yeah. So Alto Capital is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a um, boutique stockbroking firm. We, we, we have the traditional buying and selling of shares. We, we, we run portfolios for clients. We, we have funds under management. Uh, we, we deal with super funds, uh, trading clients. Um, but also what we do is we do a lot in corporate finance where we, we uh, raise capital for companies from pre-seed to seed all the way through to an RTO or IPO. Yeah, thanks, Shane. So you've started up at Alto Capital. Um, you've had the blessing from all the guys at ABN. Um, mm. How did you go about it? I mean, obviously, you've made clients a lot of money. They're keen to follow you. What sort of led you to sort of go, okay, I want to take more of a role in this sort of corporate arena how did you go about sort of cultivating relationships and and these new businesses oh look i've always been um, a big networker even 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 before um alto i always i'd love meeting people i'd love to always learn what they're doing and have a chat to them more so about life than anything and and life skills so i've got to meet you know my network i've got a wide range of network right it goes from the agriculture to technology to mining and um, and it's you know especially throughout Southeast Asia as well where I, I, I spent a lot of time building a network network there a trusted network so a trusted verified network which is really important right nowadays <laughs> so um, yeah so I I, I I lost lost my old man uh, seven years ago and um, you know I was I was um, the operationals uh, side of Alto and also on the compliance um, side of things. And uh, I thought, you know, I said to my business partners and I'm very lucky to have them with me. They, I said, look, I, I, it's time for me to step away from these positions. Um, I, I need to now uh, follow my dreams and monetize the incredible network that I built um, over 20 years. And, and, that's, and they accepted it. And that's exactly what I've done for the last um, seven years. Um, yeah. Building up, building more relationships, meeting more people through the network that I've built, and um, and we've all done deals together, we've companies together, and yeah, yeah, that's 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 really great, Shane. I'm going to come back to your family circumstances and how you sort of change things and restructured things a bit, but um, mm. before we do go on to that, do you want to um, talk about some of the things that you look for in an investment or or a portfolio company? Um, look, it's there's always short-term trades where you take short-term positions because um, you know the market's running on the back of lithium, or it's just those are just short-term things, right? But yeah, for us to put our badge on it, we need to get involved in it and and sign off on a corporate mandate. It's usually a two to three year journey for us. It's it's never just where we raise you the money and we walk away. Uh, we don't, that's not how we work. 
Um, so for me, the three three most important things, and and and, and it's rated this way, is that management has to be number one. And and and, and some, you know, and this is I'm talking industrial companies, some form of uh, revenue stream where it's close to break even or profitable, and finally scalability. Um, because management is, you know, um, if you if if you don't find the good ones, no matter how good the product is, it's ultimately doomed to fail. Um, and it's history speaks for itself. I've been through too too many. I've got a lot of scars on my back. <laughs> Are there any scars you can talk about without revealing uh, a client oh, yeah, specifically, absolutely. or just I guess just any key lessons that led you to working out what what's your sweet spot? Yeah, look. Um, Management's number one is because, you know, they, once you hand over the money, um, you're in their hands, really. They control the funds. My clients have been with me for, you know, 30 years and, and, and you know, I'm dealing with their kids now. And for, for, for a small broking firm to be able to maintain their client base, um, you know, says something, right, especially in this day and age where you've got the concepts of the world. So um, I'm very blessed to, to have those clients with me. So I protect them with my life, right? So any investment that I put them in, um, I, I, I do a lot of due diligence on it. I make sure management's up to standard. I know, I, I know that, look, that they will survive in 12 months without any capital if the market absolutely um, died. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, that's, that's where we're at. That's really interesting because... Um, if you're putting that sort of blood, sweat and tears in and you're bringing people along for, for a long-term journey, I guess you would sort of say that you certainly have a capacity for how many deals you can do and, and how you sort of structure things, right? Well, it, it, it comes back to the saying, you know, you're only as good as, as your last deal. And, um, you know, I don't want to do 10 deals in a year, get blown up by one bad one and I'll never do another deal again. Rather do you know in 2018 I didn't do a I didn't do a single raise not one because the markets were bad. I knew that if I raised money in the market, uh, and this is one thing that I've always found your gut feel is 99% right. Um, I stayed away, right? I stayed away. Just talking to clients, we just bought blue chips and waited. Um, so yeah, uh, look, it, it all hasn't been successes. You know, when you talk about which which ones have taught me lessons, you know, I never want to pick up the phone to my client going, "Look, man, I'm really sorry, but you know, your, your hundred grand or fifty grand or ten grand that you put in is uh, is gone because the company's gone to admin." It is the worst call I've ever had to make make to my clients, and uh, and that's because of management. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. Where you mentioned 2018, you didn't do any deals. Can you talk about how hard that was just to sit on your hands? Uh, I think that's just patience is, you know, I've heard a lot of people say doing nothing sometimes, particularly in this market, is hard. I mean, obviously you traded a few blue chips, but was it, you know, any sort of context or how you dealt with that sort of emotion, I guess, is appreciative. Oh, man, like, like, yeah, look, like, like, like anything, you know, you take that time to um, and, and make, turn a bad situation to a good. So I spent that time refining the business, refining how I did things, refining processes that I did, the way we did business. Um, uh, obviously, you know, because I've, I've got a um, private service, my assistant of uh, four years now is now my business partner, Daniel Chu. And so we, we sat there, we had meetings and we, we, uh, 
we refined the way we did things, the way we looked at things, the way we uh, wanted to uh, trade blue chips and signed on a new different platforms for us to um, fine tune the choices in blue chips that we did for our clients because we do trade blue chips as well for, for a certain group of clients. And, and that's, what, that's what we did. And, um, and uh, I, um, I trained, trained, ate well, um, and came back stronger in 2019. And one thing we I always try to do, and I try to tell the kids that I mentor this, is you got to continue being present. Even during the darkest and, and, and quietest times, you always have to be present because by the time everything ticks along and, and, and the market's running, you're already ahead of the pack. You never want to be catching up, right? So when the markets were running, I was always around. So the deals then just came because they knew they knew I was around. They knew I was always active, right? So the deals started coming through, and yeah, I was just lucky. It sounds like you sort of well, that 2018 quiet patch. You're very adaptive there, Shane. Back to you mentioned it earlier the um the tech crash and the changes then, and you sort of changed your style a bit. Can you elaborate a bit on what that change of process and approach was? Yeah, so 2000, that was, you know, the, the dot-com boom that we had. That was the busiest time I'd ever seen it. As a, as a young broker, three phones, you know, I was writing 100, 200 grand a month in commissions um, and clients were making a lot of money. Like I said, you know, you'd buy something buy something at the close and you know you, were, you would make money the next day. It was that crazy and then it all ended. And I sat back and I went, well, this is this is this is a change the way I do business because uh, where do I go from here? When when the market stops, it stops as we all know. But the blue chips are a longer term play. Clients be more, um, you know, would would find it easier to give you hundred grand, two hundred grand to, to trade the blue chips because we all sleep better at night. You know, um, it pays a dividend. Um, it does it does move along with the market. So I. I started focusing, uh, re-educating my clients on, on, on blue chips and what we could do. And um, we've all really done, done quite well out of it, you know, which, which gave us a buffer so that when the small micro caps ran again, you know, I had two things. I had my distribution base, I had my clients, and also we had money. We had money that we've made from the blue chips that we've invested and made money. So we pull a portion out of that and we start making it again with, with the micro caps, but, you know, always have a large portion in, in the blue chip camp for my older clients. I think when you talk about 2018 and then, the, you know, post 2008, um, there's some similarities there because I know personally I found it very difficult to adjust after the sort of late boom in 2017. So I think mm. for listeners there to, to one of your key strategies, I think is just finding ways to reinvent yourself and re-educating. I think that's a valuable lesson I just wanted to revert back on. Um, Absolutely. But I also wanted to come to your family circumstances, if, if you're comfortable or okay to talk about, because, um, you know, you, I think you've you sort of touched upon it. You made major changes to your investment strategy and I guess the things that are important to you in your life. Um, do you want to sort of um, mm. to go, give us a bit of colour about that? Yeah, so this was going back when I when I lost my dad, um, you know, seven years ago. Uh, markets were were not crash hot. Um, I was lost. I'm usually quite uh, composed. Uh, I was lost because he was the captain of the ship. Um, my, my best mate, and um, I caught up with a mentor of mine, who's, who's a good friend, and um, he gave me two books. 
don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff and it gave me perspectives in life it's perspective in life and you know what people are going through and I, I think I would have bought about four or five hundred books so far to just to hand out, hand out to friends and 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 people that need it. But it it showed me that you know at the end of the day life does go on. Um, the business that he had goes on. Uh, families, we as much as we miss him, our lives still go on. So I took that um, quite close to heart. And sold, you know, my boat and my holiday home. I sold all of that. My six bikes. I was a student, right? Brokers do that. <laughs> Sell my bikes and stuff, and 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 refocused on what's important to me. And 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 my mate said to me, he goes, Shane, you know, every decision in life, whether it be business or personal, will stem out of three or four things that are important to you. He goes, mine's different, and yours is different. So for me, I found that my family is always important. I mean, nothing else matters. Then my health, and finally my friends. So all the decisions I've made in the last seven years is based on falls back on those three most important things to me: my 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 family, my health, and my friends. Because if it affects any of those things, it's very easy for me to say no. And that's a hard, you know, that takes a lot a lot of strength to say no on a deal where you're getting paid a lot of money, right? You're getting paid paid cash up front or stock up front just to get the deal done. I mean that's the that's the world we work in, right? In the capital markets, it's money. <laughs> so I've also moved off from dealing with, you know, sadly we deal in a very toxic world, the corporate world. So my my the people I work with it's, is is very very close. So I'm dealing dropped off to them, and I know it's done, and I trust them with my life. So you know, they know how I work, they know what we look for, and we all um, we all try to make. Uh, the world a better place together thanks for sharing that shane um i've i probably put my hand up and say mental health a big thing for me and i think in this era it's, it's even more important um and yeah just mm. how you responded to your family circumstances and and worked out you know the things that are most important to you um you know i, I heard something and i'm probably carrying on here but i heard something recently in a podcast i listened to is do more things that make you feel like you and i think what you've sort of described about your three things health family friendship um i think when you've got those set of values um if you can stick to those and it's, it's like you just said it's very hard then you're mm. going to be able to make decisions that you, at the end of the day you're more comfortable with and, and hopefully still make a lot of money because that's what that's what this is about really <laughs> still at the end of the day well the thing is, you know, I, 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 I don't want to carry on too much about this, but when you have those um, business ethics and morals in life set and you're, and you're firm with it, the deal the money comes. We, you know, we used to, I used to chase money. I used to chase deals. I haven't had to chase money or deals. I'm very, very lucky to, have, to be surrounded by good people um, because, you know, the right deals come to you. Then the money comes. You know, I haven't had touch wood to chase money for a long time now. And I'm very blessed with that, right? So, um, but it's because I, I've stuck to my moral grounds on how business and life for me should be like. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, Shane. Um, I guess I want to talk to you a bit about now how you, you mentioned a little bit about mentoring um, and mateship. Do you want to talk about sort of um, some of your work in in the community and and and, and yeah. what you're doing at the moment. 
Absolutely. Uh, so I'm on the board of um, uh, Rotary of Crawley, um, and I'm mentoring probably three or four uh, young adults as well. Some of them in, in you know, within the industries, and and some of them outside outside the industry, mentoring them about life in general and and how business should be done. Because I feel I feel that a lot of um, a lot of people don't, um, especially guys with scars in the backs and successful businessmen. You got to make time for the young because it's our duty um, to help them, to help them, to guide them. Um, because then you know the, the business community would be so much better. And it's not just about what to study because anyone can do that, right? You can just Google what to study if you want to end up with this. But life in general, because then you give them a better grounding moving forward. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Uh, I've been with Rotary. I'm, I'm on the I'm, I'm on the scholars programs. I'm helping the young scholars um, do a few things here and there, and you know, teach them about processes. And we quite often we just talk about life and you know how things should be done, and getting them to believe in themselves, right? Empowering them because you know empowering somebody is is once once someone is empowered and and the right person is empowered, they're very very powerful, right? And uh, it goes for women as well. I, I, I did a quick um, a, a quick um, presentation to a group of young young professionals, and, and it was a weird question for me. I didn't know how to answer it, but a couple of ladies asked me, you know, what do you think of women in the corporate world? You know, should we are we getting there? Should, are we being heard? I said, you know what? I know from my mother and my wife that women are the stronger species than the men. We are, you know, they're, they're built stronger mentally so you know put the walls down get up there and speak up right because you will be heard and the world is changing we're uh men are just we're big marshmallows right we look really tough on the outside but inside we're really quite soft (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one shane you just mentioned something that joel and i have been thrashing out a bit amongst ourselves um certainly if there's any um uh, empowered women or, or strong women that any of our audience um, would like to recommend, please do get in touch because we've certainly been trying to to find some of those people in in the industry because they're out there. Absolutely, they are out there, and uh, I know I know a couple. Absolutely, I'll put them in touch with you. And and one of them, I, I you know is is, is um, Di Wilcox from the Magic Code um, for Kids. You know she's she's the CEO and founder of Magic Code for Kids, which is a program um, that uh, empowers kids. Between the start off between the ages of three to eleven because that's when you know you can tap into their heads and 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 and, and can still fix things because as you know with mental health you know, especially for kids once you cross that path of seeing a psychiatrist it's very hard to come back so it empowers them it gives them the tools the tools to cope with uh, uh, the issues that they face in everyday life from bullying to anxiety to uh, you know, dealing with, with, with bad situations in a family, right? A lot of them don't know how to cope with it. Um, and, you know, um, a family f- friend of mine um, had that just badly. And, and I really wish that I, I knew about the Magic Coach because it would have given her the tools to cope with those situations. And, uh, yeah, it really saddens me. But I'm a big advocate for that. I'm on the board and um, I'm pushing hard on this. So, yeah. I, I love it. I love what it, what, it, what it stands for and what it does. So, yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, we'll, we'll, we'll tease into it a bit more, Shane. That came to you as a business opportunity first. I think there's a really good story there that you, you can tell the listeners about. 
So Mezica came to me as business opportunity. Um, one of the corporate guys wanted to um, sort of business opportunity to um, to vend um, this business into one of my shelves. And um, so Dai came and presented to me. I loved everything she 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 um, she did in the community and kids. She's she's changed the lives of over thirteen thousand kids, right? Um, so the, the, the police department uses the program. Um, um, uh, the the, the uh, women's prison uh, uses the program as well. So she brought me to tears because of the the, the, the impact she has made in, in people's lives. And uh, I said um, to, to to the corporate guys, I said, "Look, give me a business, your business plan, your your financials, and all that, and your and, and your budgets." Took them a good month and a half to come back to me, <laughs> and it was you know three hundred grand director's fees. It wasn't for die; it was for them. Uh, first class business trips and all that stuff. And I said, "Look, die, that I can't raise you any money, this. Um, but but stay in touch. If I, I'd love to help you whenever I can." She came back to me six months down the track to say that they, they've just left her. She's got no money um, and doesn't know what to do. So I, um, I said, I, I said, I'll invest into the business. Uh, I'll come on as a board member. You don't have to pay me. I will call in all my favors on this one. I mean, I do a lot of, I try to do a lot of good for people out there. I try to pay it forward a lot without it and ne- never expecting anything back. And this is the first time I've actually called on you know, Sean Hardcastle from HWE, he, he did all legals. Bernie Chia from uh, Alika, these all the heads of these places built me a 20 grand website. I, um, I, it's amazing. I did the whole social media thing. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. That was all me. Um, <laughs> my, my accountant, too, he did all the accounts for us. Um, to, yeah, and, and, and that's, that's, uh, I've been with them for three years now. We're slowly growing, and my son's involved in it now because he's a filmmaker. Ethan and he's um, he um, he has started the process and we're towards the end now of um, putting the whole program because Dai runs workshops into um, a digital format so we can reach the world because there's only one Dai. Um, so yeah, that's that's the magic code. That's a fascinating story, Shannon. Some really exciting stuff happening there. I think that really speaks a lot to the the networks and relationships that you said you built up over the years. I guess I'm curious and. From a mentoring perspective as well, what sort of advice and suggestions do you have to do you have for young people that are looking to build out their network and help to sort of grow, whether it's in the financial industry or whatever space? Just um, the value yeah. of networks and how to go oh, about it. Absolutely. Look, you can pay for network events, right? At the end of the day, networking is there's networking where you rock up, hand your card, and you walk away. I mean, that's such a waste of money and time for anybody, really. The proper way to network is to rock up for these events if you really want to do it. Um, hand your card. And if there's someone that clicks in there, you catch up with them for a coffee or a lunch and you start building relationships that way. A lot of people believe that networking is about getting meeting someone there and, and, and striking up a deal. No, it's about relationship building, knowing what ticks them, whether they like fishing, what, you know, whether they're, they're involved with um, you know, a, a certain community group. Um, that 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 um, that strikes a you know a hard chord with you. That sort of stuff. That's networking. And then the follow ups, because for me, I always tell people it's it's the, my my team has the same EQ as me. We're all on the same EQ, and that money cannot buy. You can buy IQ, right? And, and it's taken me a long time to realize that. So if you meet someone with a real EQ, you can be very very sure that their network has the same emotional intelligence as you. 
So therefore, business would be so much easier. It'd be a lot more fun. Life's too short. You get fun on the way through, right? So yeah, it's the follow-ups and catching up and going to events, being there, being present is important. That's that's some really good sage advice, and um, yeah, I can hear myself agreeing with what a lot of you've been saying there, Shane. That's fantastic. Um, just just coming back to Magic Coat quickly before we have a few other other things. Um, they do work in school curriculums, is that right? In WA? No, we're trying we're trying to get them to school curriculums, so we're working hard on that. But there's obviously you know the schools do uh, run workshops uh, independently from the curriculum. Um, uh, yeah, so and, and parent, we have parent uh, workshops, um, obviously, because parents need to be speaking the same language as well. Uh, the Women's Refuge um, use the program as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, terrific. And, and is it fair to say that a lot of these uh, are going to some of the, um, the, the communities that don't have the, the means? Oh, absolutely. So we, we, um, we're a social enterprise and um, we, we partner up with Make a Difference Foundation. And, uh, and uh, so a lot of the funds, you know, we, we, we had a gala last year, which raised $80,000 and um, all that money goes via the Make a Difference Foundation into Magic Coat to get those communities um, that, you know, can't afford the program, you know, Aboriginal communities, um, you know, places down south and stuff where, where, where these sort of things are much needed. Yeah, that's terrific, Shane. What we'll do is put um, your Magic Hope Foundation up on the show notes as well if anybody's had a good financial year oh, and they can thank you. put a donation in. I'm sure you and the foundation will very much appreciate it. Um, you. you mentioned a lot about mental health and, and it really strikes a chord with me. Is there anything that you can talk about or, or just your observations about, you know, I know you know, LinkedIn, social media, social networking in this industry, is there any sort of, lessons you can give to people or a bit of advice oh keep talking you got to keep talking to people um you know i'm 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 um a member of um a few social um communities out there <laughs> one of it is devlin's which is my, my second home it's a cigar lounge but you know simon's built a really good community there of you know i don't know 100 to 200 members but when you rock up there and these are business people the corporate guys accountants doctors we're all on an equal playing field and we're there talking about life, about problems we've had, talk about our kids. I've been to their weddings. Um, you know, uh, we've gone drunk together to parties, but it's, it's, you got to get involved with certain communities out there because, you know, um, the guys who build brotherhoods and the women who build sisterhoods, right? It's important to build that trusted network um, that, 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 you don't get judged. They're there to help you because we're all in the same situation. We all have our own problems and issues, but it's 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 good to talk about. You need to talk about it. Yeah, that's fantastic, Shane. I find just I'm I'm guilty, and I've probably already indulged listeners enough already with me rambling on. But I love picking up the phone and just talking to people um, because you, you learn so much about the, like you just sort of said before. Life goes on, and everyone's got stuff going on. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, I just want to come back to, um, you know, the core thesis, I guess, of, of this podcast. It's absolutely fantastic to have this discussion because um, you're just so unique, Shane. But um, <laughs> any any observations in, in this current market, you know, I mean, you know, even if you've got stuff about, you know, the, the FOMO or, or just, just your thoughts generally 
uh, you know, bearing in mind there's probably some beginning investors or beginning speculators that listen in. Sure. Look, I think for the short-term trades, obviously head and, 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 and follow what's hot out there. You know, you, you, you just, you just got to be sitting not to. So if lithium's running, then, then there's a hot lithium play out there and hop in it, right? Um, but, you know, the, the, the hot stuff that's running the market uh, isn't necessarily the one that's a long-term play. So I, 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 I do try to stay away from, um, from these sort of things when I'm in there for some of the um, larger capital raisings. If, if it's a if it's a FOMO kind of deal, then I take a very small stake in it and I'm out. Um, you know, I, I never was never in um, the uh, crypto. Um, you know, I felt like an old man in 2017 because that's all they talked about every 25 minutes on CNBC. And I said to my assistant at the time, I said, "Jesus, I got I, I, I either got to I got to quit quit the industry or, uh, or or learn about crypto." You know, I was getting five white papers a week people wanting to raise money but you know my gut feels it to me stay away and and i did and i'm glad i did so um and and that, that goes for that goes for um you know the short-term stuff in the market and you know people wanting to chase the trends i never i try not to chase the trends i guess just you mentioned there um that your gut feel back in 2018 and gut feel now so what would you say your gut feel is of the markets at the moment Jay? i think we've got another 12 18 months in this market yeah 2000 the second half not sure where it's going to go, but, you know, where else do you put your money, right? Certain places are getting negative interest rates. Funds can't sit in cash. Otherwise, there'll be redemptions. Um, they, they make the money work, and it's not working just sitting in cash. So, um, and, 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 and they can't stop printing money. They can't. <laughs> and just to go back to something else you mentioned at the very beginning when we spoke, um, you said when you were much younger, you didn't have the holding power. And I wondered if you could elaborate on that and sort of figure out what, yeah, what you meant there. Oh, mate, when we we're young, tw- 20 grand was like 200 grand, right? And the next deal came, you had to either to hold on, miss out on the deal or sell it and move in, into the other deal. So, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's the holding power at the time. You know, I didn't have the cash to hold. I was so much younger. I was in my 20s. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because just a relative position size in someone's portfolio or in their life circumstances certainly going to dictate. Mm. Yeah. You, maybe your strategy or your position or how you approach the markets compared to somebody else. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's really good, Shane. Um, my favourite part of the show now is, um, which is a mandatory requirement for all guests, is to identify your 10-bagger pick. Now, um, we are at nosebleed levels, so you've probably got more to lose than gain, but you have to answer it anyway. And, and just to soften <laughs> that a bit, I guess you can you can name another pick that's, that, that you think might might do 10 bags or even just a few bags, given where we're at. All right. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no pressure here, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a shareholder of these companies and so are my clients. So I'll run through the first one, which is DC2. That's a data center business. Kept at $14, $14 million at this point in time. And if you look at its, its, its peer comparisons, it's a leverage. It's really leveraged data growth, right? It's, it's uh, well-valued. They don't like me using the word cheap. <laughs> it's got 1.8 million dollars in revenue and um, very very low capex. Um, the second one is Osteopore. Um, this is very close to my heart with the technology that it's got. It's kept at 50 million bucks, one and a half million dollars in revenue. It's amazing, amazing tech. This is a med tech that regenerates your bones from 3D printed polymer. Your 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 you know your your hole in the skull in your head will recover within within 18 months with no 
um, external parts in it. There's no there's no titanium uh, uh, plates in there, which which the body rejects 25% of, of the time. We've done 40,000 uh, operations and we've had one um, once that the body's rejected. And that was a long time ago when we started. This business has been around for 10 years now. And finally, 3D Metal Forge, which I hope we'll list um, this week. It's capped at $38 million with about 1.4 in revenue. You've got contracts with the government, with um, the oil and gas industry, the military. It's got blue chip clients on there. Um, it's got a very, very high profile board who are very, very focused. Um, and, and they've got operations in Singapore, Houston, and raising the money to have a, have a um, presence in Australia to, to try to hit into the mine, the, the, um, the resource market. And that's, 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 that's me, done. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, what's one last thing we've been doing a bit recently is, is I guess if you bumped into someone on the street and they've asked about investing for the first time or you're at a dinner table with someone, what's one really great sage piece of advice you have for someone? Tell your um, client profile form before I can give you any advice. <laughs> Fill out your client profile before any advice given. Yeah. I'll get hung otherwise. You know, that's actually. <laughs> <laughs> what about, let's, let's reframe it a bit, Shane. What about life advice? Life advice. Oh, man, I could go on forever. That's fine. <laughs> I've gone forever. It's, uh, look, it's always the whole, um, oh, look, that's the one, one reason I joined Rotary as well. We're all like-minded people um, with the main, with the same goal, which is paying it forward always and 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 it's um uh service before self if the whole world lived like that it'd be such a beautiful world okay terrific well shane that's been absolutely fantastic some really really great advice for listeners um thank you so much for for joining us on the show no thank you for having me i really appreciate yeah, it thank you very much shane all right take care guys Music in this episode is called 10 Minutes by Green Monday and from twinmusicom.org. Remember, the contents of this show is not financial advice. If you have questions or need more information about your own circumstances, make sure to contact a professional financial advisor.